of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. God, I thank you this morning for who you are. I thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that you would speak this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, what comes into your minds when we think about God is the most important his book. Uh, at least that's what A.W. Tozer believed. That's how he began his book, uh, The Knowledge of the Holy. And I, I tend to agree with him that the, the question, who is God, is the most important question that we have to answer in our lives. I believe that a right and clear picture of who God is would help so many of our problems and our frustrations. If we saw him as he is, then we wouldn't question why bad things happen. I mean, who are we to question the one who thought this whole world up in his mind and made it with his words anyways, we speak to him and we question him as though we are equals. We are not. We speak to him as though we are intellectual equals and we are not that. If we had a, a right image of him, we would be less concerned with other people, be less concerned with other people and their success. For that matter, we would be less concerned with ourselves and our success. We wouldn't feel the need to try to prove ourselves or compare ourselves to other people. Instead, we would just be so captivated by this great big God who loves me, who made me in his image. We would be so so much less concerned with ourselves and the people around us. That is why I believe Paul said, I have determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified because he knew that the answer to this question, who is God, is the most important question that we absolutely have to answer for ourselves so my question this morning to you, friends, who is God? Who is God? As a society, we have become more concerned with learning who we are than learning who God is. We spend so much of our time and our energy in pursuits in finding self instead of finding God. And when it finally comes to knowing who God is and figuring out who God is, instead of actually learning who God is, we concoct a manufactured picture of who God is based on who we want him to be. For most of us, that is like us. We want him to be someone that we can handle, someone who doesn't ask too much of us, someone who agrees with us, someone who likes what we like, who doesn't like what we don't like. That is the kind of God that we want him to be. 
author and seminary professor Scott McKnight begins every, uh, every semester or every year um, with a, two quizzes. He gives the first-year seminary students two, uh, two surveys instead of quizzes, two surveys. The first one, uh, the goal, the intention is to learn what their likes and dislikes and interests and personalities are. That's the first one. The second one, worded differently so they don't catch on to what he's trying to do. The, the goal of the second one is to learn what they believe God's likes and dislikes and interests and personality is. And he said that it's so interesting that even with the wide variety of likes and dislikes and interests and personalities among the group of seminary students, that each one of them would say that God agrees with about 90% of what they believe. And so he actually concludes the study. He concludes the study with this statement. The test results suggest that even though we like to think that we're becoming like Jesus, the reverse is probably more the case. We try to make Jesus like ourselves. The French artist Henry Rousseau said, God created man in his own image, and man, being a gentleman, returned the favor. Who is God? Who is God? Do, do we really know who God is? That is the most important question that we have to answer. Who is God? God. And so for the next few weeks, the next few weeks, we're, we're going to begin the, the process of answering that question. And I emphasize begin. In the, the Gospel of John, we see seven statements that are known as the I am statements of Jesus. This is where Jesus makes this declaration, I am, and then he gives a picture of who he is and what his mission is. These seven statements throughout the, the ten chapters in the Gospel of John go together to paint a united and cohesive and complete picture of him and his mission. And it's more than just Jesus that we see the picture of, not this man himself, but God himself. Because this very statement, I am, this very phrase, I am, is interesting. This phrase, I am, is very interesting. In the Greek, if you were to tell somebody, I am something, you could say the, the word, I me, I me, which means I am or to be or to exist. Or you could, you could say ego, which, which means I or I am. Which one do you think Jesus used? Both. He said, ego I me, ego I me. And so what it sounded like to the, the people listening was, I, I am, or I am, I am. And this was a, a direct reference to Exodus 3, where Moses is standing at the burning bush, and he hears a voice calling out to him from the burning bush saying, go to Egypt and free my people, bring them out of Egypt. And, and Moses is like, okay, cool, sure, I'll do it, but, but who shall I say sent me? Or in other words, who are you? And the voice from the bush says, I am who I am. The, the Septuagint, 
which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, actually translates that phrase in Exodus 3 from God as ego I me, ego I me, or I am, I am. It is the same sentiment. So Jesus himself was saying with these seven I am statements, first and foremost, I am God. So I've heard the statement often, and maybe you have heard the statement as well. Jesus never claimed to be God. That's not true. He did claim to be God. Here is one proof, seven proofs that he claimed to be God. I am God. And then he went on to paint a picture of who he is and who God is and what his mission in this world is. So what better place to begin trying to learn who God is than who God himself says, I am. I am. And this morning we we find ourselves at the first of these I am statements where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And just before this passage that we read earlier... We, we see that, that, that there's one of Jesus' most famous miracles where he fed 5,000 plus people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And there were 12 baskets left over. This is this crazy miracle, this, this awesome miracle, this miracle that, that is probably one of his most famous. The other one probably is that he turned water into wine, right? That's probably the other one that, that gets quoted as much as anything else. But the people who were there with Jesus at the beginning of this chapter 6 that, that were there feeding upon this meal that Jesus Uh, Jesus made and gave to them, they found themselves with him again at his next stop. And it's in this interaction with them when they get to this next stop that we find Jesus declaring this statement, I am the bread of of life. I am the bread of life. And this morning we're going to look at three implications from this passage that, that, that this means. Three implications of this statement, I am the bread of life. The first, the first implication is that he is essential. He is essential. Around the world, bread is, is the most common staple for food. It is the, the most common thing in every culture. In this specific culture to which Jesus was speaking, bread was the main part of the meal. The meal was built around bread instead of, for us, it's meat, right? And then it was, it was bread. So bread was essential to the diet of the people to whom Jesus was speaking. That is why throughout the Bible you see the imagery of bread so often because it is essential, It is essential. Jesus could have said food instead of bread because they are synonymous in his his usage here. He was declaring that I am essential to life. I am essential to life. How long do you think you can live without eating any any food? Probably longer than uh, than you can, do you think? Some of us realized over the last few weeks that that we could last a little bit longer than we thought, right? 60 days. 60 days, give or take, depending on how much 
stored energy you have. Some of us are more prepared for emergency than others. But you can last about 60 days. Granted, you are, are, you are getting as much water as necessary. Some less, some more, obviously. But the, the funny thing is that regardless of how long you can survive without food, if you don't have food, at some point, everybody reaches death. Right? It doesn't matter how long you can survive without food. If you don't have food, you, you, you die. Food is essential to life. And even though food is essential to life, it is only partially sufficient to keep you alive, right? Everyone who eats, no matter how much you eat, everyone who eats still dies, Right? It doesn't matter how much we eat, we will still die. We have to have it to live, but, but even in eating it, we still will eventually die. And it's so interesting that people here reference Moses and the manna that, that he gave to them, or that God gave to the children of Israel in Exodus 16. And it says that they went out every day to get this manna, and they kept them going for a while. But Jesus points out in verse 49 that they ate this manna and they still died. They ate this manna, but they still died. But I am, I am the bread that if you eat, you will live forever. That if you partake of this bread, you will have eternal life. He was reinforcing the point that he made in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. He was driving home this point that, that I am what you really need. I am what is essential. You, you may think you need these other things, but I promise you I am what you really, really need. See, they were seeking not just Jesus. They were seeking, as Jesus points out, what he would give them. He points out, you, you're not seeking me for me, but because you ate food, that I gave you, so you want more from me. They were seeking what he would give them. How often, how often do we seek the things from God instead of seeking God himself? How often do we seek what God will do for us or give to us instead of seeking him for the sake of seeking him? Let me give you an example. We all agree that the fruits of the Spirit are things that we need, right? These are things that, that, that it's, a, it's a good thing, right? Fruits of the Spirit, these, these are, are, are great things, right? But how often do we go to God and we start to pray for the fruits of the Spirit in general or we, we, we go into one of them? God, give me patience. Give me joy. Give me Right? We, we begin to seek the fruits of the Spirit. These are good things. I'm not, I'm not saying that these are bad things. But what I am saying is that, that in this pursuit that we believe is a good pursuit, is a right pursuit, we are pursuing the result. We are pursuing the result of having him instead of pursuing him. Does that make sense? 
in pursuing the fruits of the Spirit, which are, are good things. We are pursuing the result of knowing Him. We are pursuing the result of intimacy with God instead of pursuing God Himself and intimacy with Him and letting the results take care of themselves. Very often we pursue the things that God will give to us or do for us instead of pursuing him for the sake of him. Jesus declares, stop. Stop. Stop going after these things. Stop going after these things. Even the things that, that I'm going to give you, you don't have to go after those things. That is not what you really need. It's definitely not the things that the world around you has to offer. Those are not the things that you really need. What you really need is me. I am essential to your life. But not only is he essential, he was declaring that he is accessible. He's accessible. You need me and you can have me. I'm here for you. As I said, they referenced uh, the manna from, from Exodus 16, and actually they were looking for a sign from Jesus and, and said, hey, remember the manna that, that God gave us through, through Moses? Do something like that. Do something like that. What are, what are you going to do to prove that you're somebody that we should listen to? And Jesus says that the manna was, was faulty. The manna was insufficient, that it could not keep them alive. But, but the same God who sent that manna to them is now sending the true bread from heaven, the sufficient bread from heaven, the better bread from heaven. The bread that will keep you alive, that will give you life eternally. And the people were like, shoot, give us that bread. We want that. That sounds good. And he's like, I am that bread. I am that bread. Jesus didn't claim to bring the bread that gave life. He claimed to be the bread that gives life. I am the bread that gives life. And there are two, two things, two things about the accessibility of this bread of life. First, that this bread is not accessible because of who you are, but it is accessible because of who he is. It is not because of you, it is because of him. In this, this passage here, in these 19 verses, uh, Jesus says, whoever four times, he says all two times, he says the world two times, everyone two times, and anyone one time. 11 times in 19 verses, Jesus declared that this eternal life is for anyone who believes. Regardless of you. It has nothing to do with you. The only one it has anything to do with is the bread of life himself. See, they were living under this belief. They were living under this belief that, 
that they were in the family of God simply because they were born Jewish. And Jesus was declaring here in this passage for one, one part is that you are not receiving this bread of life because you are ethnically Jewish, but because my Father, I have chosen you. It is not because you were physically born into this family. It is because I have spiritually chosen you. I have chosen you. You are in not because of you, but because of me. You, you do not get this eternal life because of anyone that you believe you are, but because of who he is. He is the bread of life. You are not worthy of the bread of life. He is the gracious, loving, kind bread of life. And the second thing that we need to know about the accessibility of the bread of life is that bread is not accessible because of what you do for it, but because of what he has done. You don't have to work to earn this bread. In fact, you can't earn this bread. You don't have to work to earn this bread. It is simply given. If you look back in, in verse 27, he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And then he goes on to say, which the Son of Man will give to you. And then they ask, so what do we have to do to work the works of God? And Jesus says, believe. Believe, it's that easy. Just believe in, in me. Believe in the one. Believe in the one whom he sent. Believe in, in, in me. There's no work in this for you other than faith in him. He is the one who does all for you, has done all for you, and will do all for you. You, you can receive this bread. This bread is accessible to you because of who he is and, who, and what he has done. This remains a struggle for most of us, right? Both before we are converted and even after we are following Jesus for years and years and years, this remains a struggle for us. We always seem to fight this urge to earn it to prove ourselves. We fight the desire to earn this eternal life. I don't know how many times I have heard the statement that goes something along the lines of, I'm too big of a sinner. I'm too awful. I've done too much. I'm not good enough. God can't save someone like me. Have you heard that? Have you said that? The opposite is a winner as well, right? Well, I'm a good person. I do a lot of good things. I go to church. I read my Bible, right? I pray every day. We have, we have built this whole thing around this image of I have to earn it, and, and we struggle with that. We struggle with that. For, for all of our faith, we struggle with that reality that we don't have to earn it. That feels wrong to us. That feels difficult to us. But Jesus is like, no, it's not because of who you are or what you have done. It is because of who I am and what I have done. If it was because of what we have done, we are never going to be good enough. 
We are always going to fail. Jesus, Jesus had to come for us because of his love, because of his justice, because of of his righteousness. He had to come and live a sinless life fulfilling the law because we can't. As many of the laws we can keep, there are always laws that we cannot keep. And because of that, we cannot be with God. But Jesus, Jesus did. He fulfilled the law so that he could be the righteous, the righteous sacrifice for you. So that that he could lay down his life having fulfilled the laws for you. So that he could present his body to take the, the, the place of your sin. So that he could present his body to be beaten. To be bruised. To be murdered on a cross for your sin. To pay the price that is owed by your sin and my sin. He did all of that, not me. And not only that, not only did he pay the price, he he died on this cross so that we could be forgiven, but then he rose again from the dead so that you could be, uh, you could defeat death, that you don't have to die, you can have eternal life. And now he has risen to the right hand of the Father and is always there on your behalf and is always praying for you. It is not because of you, it is because of him It is not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done. And he is saying, I am this bread of life that is essential and is accessible because of who I am and because of what I have done. All you have to do, all I have to do is believe and trust. But not only is he essential, not only is he accessible, but he is good. He is good. I wish I could express to you just how good he is, but sometimes I feel Sometimes I feel like a blind man trying to describe a painting. He doesn't just fulfill the physical needs of food. Instead, he says, I will give you eternal life. You came pursuing this thing, which is probably good, but I'm going to give you something better. That is who he is. In John 17, Jesus is praying for for his disciples, praying for the people, praying for us, and, and he declares, this is eternal life that they know you. 
In Jesus' mind, relationship with God and eternal life are inseparable. They go hand in hand. That means that it is more than just simply immortality that he offers. It is something else. When he offers eternal life, he is offering something much more than this this quantitative measurement of life, how long it will last. He is offering something much, much more than that. He is offering something that holds within itself a qualitative property. Not just how long it will last, but how good it is. We have our ideas of what good is, and he's like, no, no, I can beat that. You thought that food was good. Wait until you try this. See, Jesus was getting at the reality that he offers so much more than we could ask or even imagine. He says, come to me and you'll never hunger. Believe in me and you will never thirst again. In other words, I am better than you know. I am better than you can imagine. He was saying that once you find satisfaction in me, nothing else is good enough. Nothing else will satisfy. You will realize that all of those other things that you pursue, all of those other things that you desire, all of those other things that you may have found satisfaction in, all of those other things that you may now find momentary satisfaction will all fade and they are all pointing you to the only one who can satisfy. The better bread, the true bread. These things may seem like they are what you want, but once you taste and see that God is good, nothing else, nothing else measures up. Nothing else measures up. You realize that nothing else can truly satisfy. You may find some some fleeting pleasure, but you will never truly be satisfied outside of him once we taste this bread, once we taste what he has to offer, we realize that he alone can satisfy and that he does satisfy, that he exceeds our expectations. That does not mean that we're not tempted to turn back to the old pursuits, because I just want to break the news to you now, you will be tempted to turn back to them. It doesn't mean that you're not going to slip back into them and pursue those other things because I'm just going to break it to you now. You probably will. But what it means is that you will know, you will know deep down that he is the only one who satisfies. He is the only one who meets those deep, deep needs. You will realize that there is a God-shaped hole inside of you, right? And only he can fill it. So what do we do with this bread? What do we do with this bread? The same thing you do with any other bread. You eat it. You, you partake of this 
bread. See, this, this statement that Jesus made of eat this bread, anyone who eats my, my flesh and drinks my blood, this, this statement that he made here caused problems because people didn't like the fact that Jesus was promoting cannibalism. I wouldn't be a big fan of that myself. He wasn't, just by the way, he was not promoting that. Instead, he was simply keeping the metaphor alive. He was saying that just as bread itself, no matter how much it has within itself, it does you no good if you leave it on a shelf, but you have to actually eat it. You have to actually partake of it. You have to, have to actually join into the bread. You have to let it come into you and ingest it and digest it for it to do anything to you. He was saying just like that, what I have to offer does you no good if you leave it on a shelf. It doesn't matter if you understand it. It doesn't matter if you know it. If you leave it over here, it does nothing for you. Instead, you have to take it, and you have to partake of this bread. That is what he is saying. He was not saying that we start eating people. He was saying that we begin to apply this to our lives, and it's difficult because how do we eat his flesh? How do we drink his blood? And that is where they were. This, is, this was their big struggle. They got caught up in this statement, and they're like, I don't know what you even mean by this. But the reality is Jesus did tell them. In verse, in verse 35, he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then down in verse 44 and 45, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then in verse 45, he says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So there, there are three actions here. Heard, come, believe. Heard, come, believe. We have the initiation from God that he calls out to us. He declares over us. He tells us, this is the bread of life for you. And then we respond to that. We come to him, right? He, he initiates, we respond, and then we believe in him. That is salvation, that is how we partake of this bread. It is not, it is not that difficult. It is not that complicated. It is simply responding to his initiation, responding to his word by coming to him and believing in who he is. But they, they, they gave two different responses here in this invitation from Jesus to partake of this bread. There were two responses to this invitation here. In verse 60, it says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And then down in verse 66, it says, That many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Some Sometimes the things that we hear from God, sometimes the things he calls us to are just too difficult for us to grasp, too difficult for us to wrap our minds around. Sometimes we face circumstances, sometimes we face situations, sometimes we have hurts in our lives that are just too big for us to be able to overcome in our own strength. Sometimes there are simple, there are things that are just too hard for us, right? Am I the only one who feels that? It would be so much easier for me if I didn't have to face certain circumstances and situations 
and hurts and pains. It would be easier for me if Jesus didn't call me to do more than I probably want to do. It would be easier for me if it was just this simple thing that everything was exactly that was that was exactly the way I wanted and it was easy, right? But things are difficult. And when they are difficult, it's easy to walk away like these people. This is too difficult. Who can handle this? But then there was the other group. There was the other response. After they leave, Jesus looks at the 12 and he asks, are you going to leave as well? Are you going to leave as well? They heard the same statement. The statement was just as difficult. They were probably like, man, like why you got to word it like that, Jesus? Like, I mean, come on. You can word things a little easier to grasp. But Jesus says, hey, are you going to leave? And Peter looks at him and says, where else are we going to go? <laughs> to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. How could I leave you? I've tasted too much. I've seen too much. I've experienced too much to walk away. It doesn't matter how difficult this is. I know too much. So what's the difference in these two responses? How could some walk away in this difficult moment and some stay in the same difficult moment? Honestly, it all boils down to one thing. The 12 had tasted the bread of life. The 12 had experienced the bread of life. He says, we have come to, we, we have believed and come to no, we have responded to your call. We have believed what you have said, and we have come to know that you are exactly who you say you are. We have come to believe and know that no matter how difficult this thing is, you are still good. We have come to believe and know that no matter how difficult the sayings, no matter how difficult the circumstances, no matter how difficult all that we face is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, as he says in Matthew 16. The Holy One of God, as he says right here. That you are the one who has the words of life. That is why not only did they stay in this moment of difficulty, but after Jesus was crucified, they stayed. After the early church was persecuted and all of the friends that they knew and everyone they knew was being brutally murdered, they stayed. That is why John, the beloved disciple who wrote this, 
That is why he was boiled in oil alive, did not die, and still didn't give up the faith. Where else am I going to go? Where else would I go? You are all that I really need. You are essential to my life. I can't leave you. You are too good. You are better than all of that that I face. You are better than all of the hurts. You are better than all of the pain. You offer more than this difficult moment that I'm in. And I'm not trying to lessen the difficult moments that you're in because I know that some of us are going through really tough times. I really do. I understand some of the hurt that some of you are feeling. And I don't even grasp the hurt that some of you are feeling. I understand the questions that some of you are wrestling with, and some of the questions you are wrestling with are much more difficult than I can even fathom in my mind, but I promise you, I promise you, he is good. He is good. What he has to offer is better than anything you could ask or imagine. Those exact words were written by a guy who lays out all that he faced. You talk about guilt for doing things that you feel like you shouldn't be saved for. He killed people simply because they followed Jesus. And then he became a follower of Jesus. And then after he became a follower of Jesus, he was beaten multiple times. He was stoned for his faith but didn't die. And still, he says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ask or even imagine. Think about that. He could have said, God, why do I have to face this like we do? He could have said, I don't, gra- I don't understand this. I don't understand this thing that you're calling me to. I don't understand this thing you're saying to me. I don't understand how a loving, good, gracious God could allow bad things to happen. He could have said that because bad things happened to him. But instead of that, he said, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. All of the 12 were, were beaten, all of them, mostly all of them except for John, the beloved, were, were murdered for their faith. Peter was hung upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to hang in the same way that Jesus did. James was taken to the top of the temple. Remember in Matthew 4 when they said, when, when, uh, when Satan took Jesus up there and said, throw yourself off? They did take James up there and they threw him off and he was murdered that way. Every single one of them, every single one of them never gave up their faith for one simple reason. They tasted. They experienced him. I don't want you to ever hear me say that it gets easier after you follow Jesus because it doesn't. 
that's when it really gets tough. I'm just going to be honest with you. And if that right there doesn't scare you away, I want to make you one promise. That if you partake of this bread, if you take this bread and you believe in him, he will prove himself to be better than you can imagine. That is why David said, taste and see that God is good. So my question to you, what is standing in your way? What is standing in your way this morning? What is the, the, the question that you just can't get past? What is that, that, that deep question that you just can't wrap your mind around this about God? Let me help you real quick. God's smarter than you. You are not his intellectual equal. You're not going to figure everything out. Maybe, maybe it's a question, maybe it's a doubt, maybe it's something that you can't quite get past. Maybe there is a circumstance in your life that you can't not just forgive the person who perpetrated it against you, but you can't forgive God because how would a loving God allow that to happen to you? I wish I could stand up here and be like, well, this is how he let it happen to you, and it really points to how good he is, but I can't do that because I don't understand it, but what I do know is that he is still good. Taste and see what is standing in your way. See, some of us, some of us have experienced this. Some of us have tasted and we have seen. Some of us have been following Jesus for years and years and years, and right now we are ashamed to admit the fact that we have let the beauty and the wonder of who he is fade away. For you, the difficult thing is acknowledging that you have done that. Right? Because we, we, we want to keep the, the persona that we're good, we're righteous, we're holy. No, I, I still love Jesus. Yes, I, I, I'm still in this. But the reality is that our inward life is not evidence of that. But the good news for you is that you can have a fresh taste of Jesus this morning. I'm not saying get saved again. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But you can have a, a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. You can have a, a, a fresh taste of his goodness this morning. All you have to do is respond to this phrase, I am the bread of life. And you say, yes, I accept that. I believe that. And some of us, some of us have never experienced this. Some of us have, have never tasted that bread. Some of us, we are still at the point where we're like, I don't know, this is too difficult for me. I don't know, this is, this is too hard for me. I don't, I don't know that I can get past this. Please, just taste. Some of you are saying, you know what, I, I've never experienced that, but I want to this morning. It's not difficult. It's really easy. All you have to do is pray something along the lines of this, Right? God, I want to accept your bread. I want to accept your eternal life. I want to accept the bread that was beaten and broken and died on a cross to pay the price for my sins, to offer me forgiveness. I want to accept that right now. 
You don't have to word it just like that because I know that was a lot of words. But God, I want to partake of this bread and walk with you. If you pray something like that and you mean it with all your heart, what that means, or not even all your heart, just the best that you can, what that means is that you have taken this bread and you have eaten this bread and now it is on God to show you his goodness. What is standing in your way this morning? Because I guarantee you, 95% of us have something in front of us that is standing in our way from grabbing this bread afresh and anew or just for the first time this morning. What is standing in your way? I promise you, it is not worth it. Whatever that is, it is not big enough. It is not good enough. It is not strong enough. Taste and see. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your goodness to us. Pray that you would help us this morning. To taste and to see that you are good. To experience the goodness that only comes from you.